You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. God is holy, Jesus is holy, and we're going to see that he loves us very much and that we belong to him. If you've got a Bible, you can open to the book of Galatians, if you don't have a Bible, our ushers would love to give you a Bible. All you got to do is put your hand up, and when your hand goes up, they'll get one to you. So just put your hand up as they come. Uh, have you ever been confused by someone's behavior? That's A and then B. You do it like this, and then you give them the instruction, and as soon as you're done, they get up and they do the exact opposite of what you just said. And you're like... Is there some kind of miscommunication here? Just kind of completely confused. Maybe you're like me, you're sitting at a street light and it's, you know, green and the cars are going this way and now it's green and it's going to yellow and now yellow is becoming red and you watch multiple cars slam on the gas to fly, just to run the red light and miss being killed by like this much. And you're like, what's happening right now? Is it worth risking your life to run a light? Is it, is it worth that so you don't have to wait for like two or three minutes? Is it worth doing that? You're confused by that. People's behavior sometimes confuse us. I get confused when I hear people talk about camping. I don't understand. And if you're into camping, that's fine. But I don't understand why someone would take a tent into the woods, set it up, sleep on a route, and have to work harder to get their food. Why wouldn't you just stay in your bed, wake up, and use the stove? I've, I find that confusing. People, it might be fun, but it's confusing. <laughs> I'm not saying it isn't fun. I'm just saying I wouldn't do it. People do confusing things at points, and at this point in the book of Galatians, Paul is confused by the behavior of the Galatians. He's confused by their thought of going back to living under the law. In chapter 4, verse 20, he says, I'm perplexed about you. He says, I'm confused about you. See, false teachers have, had come into the church these Judaizers, and they told the Galatians, they said, you're not actually true children of God. We are. And if you want to be a true child of God, what you need to do is you actually need to start obeying the law. And Paul is bothered by this. He knows that if they do this, they're actually going back to slavery. That's why in verse 12 of chapter 4, he says, brothers, I entreat you to become as I am. He pleads with them. He says, I'm free you're free. Continue living in your freedom. So he wants this for them. And so in order to help them do this, Paul is going to tell them how someone becomes a child of God. Then he's going to tell them what will happen to a child of God that is living in gospel freedom. Then he's going to tell them what a true child of God will receive. And then he will tell them what a true child of God needs to do. And so with that being said, let's read our passage together, starting in verse 12. He says, brothers, I entreat you. This is Galatians 4, verse 12. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I've also become as you are. 
you did me no wrong. You know that it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. So Paul gets in contact with them because he's going through some illness. And in the midst of his suffering, Paul doesn't sort of, you know, sort of sit down and starts feeling sorry for himself. In the midst of his trial and suffering, he's still trying to fulfill the Great Commission. He's still preaching the gospel. He says, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn me or despise me. They didn't step back from Paul. Whatever, he's, whatever kind of illness he had, it was enough that the people could have kind of backed away, but they, they don't. But received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? He's like, what, where, what happened to the joy that you experienced? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? So he tell, he's, like, he's like, what's going on in the relationship? There was this, we had this love for one another where you would have given me anything at one point. And now, like, what's, what's happened between us? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you might make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when, I, when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom, for whom I'm in in the, again, in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. Paul wants to be, he's like, I want to be with you. Like, there's this, he loves them so much. There's this deep concern. He's like, I wish I could be there. For I'm perplexed about you. There's that concern. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O a barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at the time he was born according to the flesh, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Pray with me, please. So Father, we... God, we recognize you are doing way more than we often see. And God, we get to be a, a part of what you are doing, Lord, in the world in fulfilling your great commission and causing people to come to you. And this room, Lord, is a representation that you are making disciples, that you are saving people, that you are calling them into a relationship with you and that you are, you are using us, Lord, to shine your light in the world. And God, I pray that you would help us to see your love for us. God, and what you have done for us by, by bringing us, Lord, into your family. And God, I pray that we would also 
leave, Lord, here walking in freedom by what we hear, Lord, from your word today. And God, I pray for that person in the room who thinks that they're in freedom because they're living apart from you. I pray, Father, that you would open their eyes to the slavery that they're in. And God, that you would cause them to turn to Jesus Christ and begin walking in newness of life, begin walking in freedom. Would you do that, Lord, through the preaching of your word? And God, would you help me, I pray, to handle your word accurately and, Lord, lovingly. God, so that your people would be built up and edified, Lord, in their faith. God, thank you that you take thought of us by giving us your word. And then by giving us your Holy Spirit who helps us understand your word. And your Holy Spirit who gives us the power to live and to do the things that are in your word. God, thank you for all these things. Would you help us now as we, as, uh, as, uh, as Lord, as I speak, would you speak through me, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Here's point, no, point number one. A true child of God is born from above. A true child of God is born from above. And I want to tell you that this is going to be our longest point, And you're going to need to do some turning in order to understand what is going on uh, in, this, in this passage. And then the other points will come fairly quickly. Look at chapter 4, verse 21 then. It says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? When Paul here uses the word law, he's, he's saying, do you listen to the Bible? He's like, do you listen to the scriptures? Because if you were actually listening to the Bible, if you were listening to the scriptures, you would know that it's, it tells us that we are not under the law. See, to be under the law means you're under a curse. It means you're enslaved. It means you're not under grace. And Paul, again, is aware they're tempted to go back to living under the law. And so he wants to stop them from doing that. And so he uses an Old Testament example to show them and us why we, Christians, are free from the law. So look at verse 22. He says, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Now, if you're like me, when you read that passage, you should be a little confused. It's not clear on like reading it what is actually going on. And when we get confused, what we need sometimes to figure out what's going on is we need a backstory. We need, to, we need some backstory to fill in the information. I remember when I was in a student in university before I became a believer, I'm in this class, and my friend is in the class, and we go to our class for our three-hour exam. And so the exam starts, and about 30 or 40 minutes into the exam, he gets up and he leaves. And I'm confused, because I know him. And I'm thinking, is he smarter than I know? And didn't he tell me? Then I'm thinking, did he have a cheat sheet? Because if he did, why didn't he hook me up? So the exam wraps up, and I go see him. I'm like, bro, how'd you leave so quick? And he, he says, well, I sat down. I wrote my name. 
I read through the questions, I realized I didn't know any of the answers. So then I just left. See, the backstory there helped me to see why he left so quickly. And in order for us to understand what is going on here, we got to get the backstory behind this illustration that Paul uses. And so we've got to turn to the book of Genesis. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So God makes a promise here to Abraham. He says, I'm going to make you a blessing and I'm going to make you a great nation. Children are going to come from you. Now in Genesis 15, we find out that Abraham is a little bit fearful that this is actually going to happen. Turn to Genesis 15. He's thinking that this promise isn't going to be fulfilled. Genesis 15 verse 1 says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what shall you give to me? For I continue childless. He's like, I have no, I have no children. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look towards heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now by chapter 16, we learn that the promise still hasn't been fulfilled yet. And Abraham and Sarah aren't getting any younger. Sarah's 75. Abram is 85. And they've been waiting now 10 years for this promise to be fulfilled. And after waiting 10 years, Sarah thinks it's not going to happen. And we know this because she just springs into action. She's been praying and waiting. And so in bitter desperation, she just steps in and takes action. Look at chapter 16, verse 1. So now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. It says he listened to the, her voice. Now husbands, it's always good for us to listen to our wives. We, it's good for us to go to them for counsel and wisdom and help in complicated things. But it's never good for us to listen to our wives if they're telling us to sin. It's never good to listen to anyone who's telling you to do something contrary to what God has said. So from Hagar 
Then Hagar gives birth to Ishmael. And then Abraham's life is full of drama. Right? Some people would say he has baby mama drama. And so if you look at verse 3, it says, So after Abraham lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as wife. And he went into her, to Agar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she, uh, she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that, I had, uh, that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. She blames him. She's like, it, this is your fault. I've done nothing wrong in this. This is all on you. See, our sinful choices have consequences. Our sinful choices have consequences. And what we see here is that Abraham is having to live through his sinful choices. When we deviate from what God has said, our life doesn't get easier. It gets harder. It gets painful. And maybe you're here today and you have deviated from God's plan. You're not a believer in Jesus Christ. You haven't trusted him for your salvation. You're doing your own thing. And your sinful choices have you dealing with some really difficult consequences. And if you're honest with yourself, you're hurting. If you're honest with yourself, you're in pain. But the word for you today is that you don't have to stay hurting. You don't have to stay going through pain all on your own. You today can turn to Jesus Christ, ask for his forgiveness, and he will forgive you. He will heal the hurt that you are experiencing. And Jesus will give you a better life than the one that you are currently living he won't necessarily give you an easier life, but it will be a better life, one that's filled with the Spirit. And so we encourage you today to turn to the one who can save you, transform you, change you. So Sarah and Abraham deviate from God's plan. They take things into their own hands, but God has not forgotten his promise to them. Look at Genesis 17, verse 15. And God said to Abram, as, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah, she shall, shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings and people shall come from her. So God reaffirms his promise. He's like, the thing that I said I'm going to do, I'm going to do it. Now look how Abram Responds, verse 17, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. You shouldn't laugh at God. It's generally a bad plan. And he said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant uh, for his offspring 
after him. So Abraham says, well, God, we, 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 got, we got Ishmael here. Can't we just use him? Can't we just add my effort to the thing that you're doing? Can't I just kind of take part into this? And God's like, no, I don't need your effort. I will do it. I'm going to give you a son. And what God says he will do, he does it. Turn to Genesis 21. Genesis 21, verse 3. Sorry, verse 1. Then the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. There it is right there. As he has said, I'm going to do it. I show up to do it. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and she bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. This is God. When he makes a promise, he fulfills that promise. This is the God who looks at you and says, I love you. I care for you. I'm going to do good to you. We can trust the things that God tells us. And so we have Ishmael and we have Isaac. And the brothers have some similarities. Both are sons of Abraham. Both would have been circumcised. Both for a while lived in the same home. But there's also some differences between them. Ishmael, Ishmael's mother was a slave, which means he was born into slavery. Isaac's mother was free, which means he was born in freedom. Ishmael was, a born, was born according to the flesh. And this speaks of the fact that it was Sarah's idea, that she manipulated things, that she took things into her uh, own hands to make it happen, that she didn't trust God. One of the ways you can know in your life that you don't trust the Lord, just look at your life and ask yourself, am I manipulating situations? Am I manipulating people to try to get what I want? That is a clear sign you do not trust that God is going to do what he has promised, that God is going to do good to you. The moment you start taking things into your own hands, it's a clear sign you do not trust the Lord. But the Bible is telling us we can trust the Lord, that he will do all that he has promised. And so Marv doesn't have to take things into his own hands. He simply needs to submit and surrender and trust that in God's perfect timing, he's going to do what he says because he's good and he loves me and he loves you. So we don't have to manipulate. Isaac's birth was because Abraham and Sarah came together, but it was also a miracle. And this is why, as you turn back to Galatians, let's go back to Galatians chapter 4. As you turn back to Galatians 4, this is why Paul says in verse 23 that Isaac was born according to the promise. In verse 29, it says it was according to the Spirit. And what the Bible is telling us here is that Isaac had a supernatural birth, that this was a supernatural work of God, that he was born from above. And this is why Paul actually uses this illustration. 
He wants the Galatians to know that just like Isaac was born from above, just like Isaac experienced the supernatural birth, he's saying, Galatians, you experienced that supernatural birth. That God gave them new life. That he adopted them into his family. That they're not from the slave woman, but that they're from the free woman. He's telling them they're not under the old covenant. He's telling them that they're under the new covenant. He's telling them that they're not under law, but they're under grace. Paul is actually saying the Judaizers, the false teachers who are telling you that you need to go back to living in legalistic ways, he's actually saying they think they're in the family of Sarah, but they're actually in the family of Hagar. They're actually in slavery. And they're in slavery because they're trying to be justified by obedience to the law rather than faith in Jesus Christ, rather than belief in the gospel. He's saying they're slaves. Paul tells the Galatians plainly, your status as sons and daughters of God comes because of a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit that he made us alive not by human effort. And that means they don't have to earn their way into God's family. The moment they placed their faith in Jesus Christ, when Paul showed up ill, sick, and preached the gospel to them, the moment that they believed, they were adopted into the family of God. And what's true for the Galatians is also true for you. And it's true for me, believers in Jesus Christ. We experienced a supernatural birth. We were made new. When you placed your faith in the gospel, when you believed that you needed a savior, the spirit adopted you in that moment into God's family. You were saved. And that means we don't have to try to work our way now into the family of God. We're in God's family. We are his children by grace. We've been born from above. It's interesting here. Isaac's name means laughter. Abraham laughed because he didn't believe God could do something this amazing. We laugh now. We smile now because when we look at our life, when we look at the people that we were, we laugh, we smile because we can't believe that God has shown us this much amazing grace. We can't help but Laugh, But it's not a laugh of unbelief. It's a laugh filled with joy. It's a laugh filled with thankfulness, gratefulness for the goodness of God towards us. We were born from above. And here's the thing. Anyone who is born from above has a home there. If you are born from above, that is where you're going. Look at verse 26. He says, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Paul here is speaking of our heavenly home. That's a reference there to heaven. He says we have citizenship there, that that is where our home is. And we get this citizenship because of Jesus. Think about Jesus for a moment. Jesus leaves his home. He leaves heaven. He comes and he gives up everything. He lives and he dies for our sins. 
He pays for them on the cross. And then on the third day, Jesus rises from the grave to prove that our sins have been paid for. And then he goes to heaven. And on his way up to heaven, he sends us the Holy Spirit so that we could have the Spirit to help us walk through the, the valley, as the Bible says, the, of the shadow of death. So that we have the Spirit to help us here. And then Jesus is in heaven, and he's not just in heaven kicking it with his boys. He's up there, the Bible says, interceding on our behalf. He's up there, the Bible says, preparing a place that is actually perfect for us. And then the Bible promises that one day Jesus is going to come back and he is going to take us to that place where we will get to be with him forever. That is how good Jesus is. He loves us. And that's why we don't have to live for the things of the world. Now that doesn't mean we don't care for the world. That doesn't mean we don't care for the environment. That doesn't mean we don't care for the people who are in the world. We do all of those things, but we do it knowing that this is not our home, that there's a day coming that we will be with our Heavenly Father for all eternity. So we meet Sarah in the book of Genesis, and we see her barrenness and miraculous conception. And this becomes foundational in the history of God's people. This history repeats itself in the life of Rebecca and in the life of Rachel in Genesis 25 and Genesis 30. It also becomes a major theme in, in the Old Testament as an illustration of God's ability to do the impossible. That's why Paul quotes Isaiah 54 here. Isaiah 54, oh, sorry, verse 27 is a quote from Isaiah 54. It says, For it is written, Rejoice, O Barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has no husband. In Isaiah, the people of Israel, they're in exile. And it looks impossible. Like that they're actually going to get to return. But Isaiah predicts that God will do the impossible. This theme of God being able to do the impossible actually gets picked up again in the New Testament. You see it when a barren, when a, sorry, a, a virgin bears a son. That's another picture of God doing the impossible, the birth of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is born and he gives his life so that God could pour out his grace on the world. Jesus won our freedom so that all peoples, everyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ, they can be returned from exile. They can be returned from their alienation from their heavenly father. And the Galatians, Paul is telling them, you're a picture of this reality. He's telling us that we're a picture of this reality, that God is actually rescuing people from exile. He's rescuing people from their slavery, their bondage to sin. That spiritual children are actually being born from above. That supernatural things are happening and that these spiritual children are free from the law. And that we're headed to our heavenly home. So being born from above makes life better in many ways. But it also makes life harder in some ways. 
And that's because of how we're treated by legalists. Look at verse 28. He says, Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. Here's our second point. A true child of God is persecuted by legalists. Is persecuted by legalists. Genesis 21, verse 28, uh, sorry, verse 8 says, uh, The child grew and was weaned, That's, this is Isaac, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of uh, Hagar, whom she had born to, Ishmael, uh, so, to Abraham, laughing. So Ishmael here is mocking Isaac. He treats Isaac with contempt. And the contempt that Ishmael showed towards Isaac is what legalists show towards those living in gospel freedom now. And maybe you're wondering, how exactly were the Galatians, sorry, the Judaizers persecuting the Galatians? How exactly were they doing that? They were doing it by not allowing them to live their life by grace. Paul says that to not allow someone to live in the freedom of the gospel is actually an act of persecution. And so this is not new. It's the same game. It's the same strategy. It just has new players. In the Old Testament, the prophets were persecuted by legalists. Jesus was persecuted by legalistic Pharisees. And Paul was persecuted by legalistic Judaizers. And so what we have to notice here is that that those who are really following Jesus and living in their gospel freedom, they're not just persecuted by the world. They're not just persecuted by people who could care less about religion. They're also persecuted by people who are simply religious. People who think that Christianity is just about following rules. These types of people might look down on you because you don't have a plan for reading the Bible through an entire year. They might look down on you because you dress a certain way to come to church. They might look down on you because you don't do family worship every single day. They might look down on you because your church doesn't sing enough hymns. And the list can go on and on. I heard another preacher say, we have to plan for persecution like we plan for retirement. Paul says it will happen. It's coming. And when it comes, what we've got to remember is that we are free and that we are loved. See, I don't want you to misunderstand me here. Reading our Bibles is very important. It's good for us to know from Genesis right to Revelation. It's very important if we want to grow in our faith that we open God's word and read it. How we carry ourselves is very important. How we care for our families spiritually is very important. Those things matter. The things that we sing in church are very important. The things that we, we sing should have weight. The content should actually speak to our hearts. The content should actually reflect the gospel and what God has done for us. Those things are massively important. But we don't get into the family of God based on how well we do those things. 
We are accepted into the family of God by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross when we place our faith in what he has done for us. And nothing said or done to us can remove us from God's family. We have a home in heaven and we are going to get there because God finishes what he starts. So persecution makes life harder than we would like it to be. But something that helps us endure persecution is knowing we have a reward coming. And Paul tells us that we have something to look forward to, that we have light at the end of the tunnel. Look at verse 30. It says, but what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Here's point number three. A true child of God is receiving an inheritance. We are receiving an inheritance. When Ishmael laughed at Isaac, Sarah's like, get him out of the house. Genesis 21, verse 10. So she said to Abraham, cast out the slave woman with her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not be, not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because, the boy, because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. When Paul quotes Sarah's words here, what he's saying is that the Galatian church needs to actually drive out the Judaizers and their legalism right out of the church. He's saying they need to be out. And this was to protect the gospel. It was to protect the gospel that saves us. See, when someone is adding to the gospel, when someone says that you need to be saved by your works, that what Jesus has done is not enough, it's very possible that that person is not saved. And they're a danger to the gospel and a danger to the church. See, believers need to guard the gospel the way the Secret Service guards the president. With vigilance. We can't afford to lose the gospel. Because the true gospel, the Bible says, has the power to save. That it can open eyes and will open eyes as we hold on to it and proclaim it. And we receive our inheritance by holding on to the gospel and living our lives in the gospel. Living our life by grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the church shouldn't allow any teaching that says salvation is by works. That needs to be put down and put down quickly. And we have to stand firm against legalism when we see it creeping into our church. We have to stand up against legalism when we see it creeping into our lives. When we start to think that we need to earn our way into God's love rather than living by grace. Because the reality is anyone who's trying to be justified by the law will not receive an inheritance. They will not be saved because that will show that you're actually in the family of Hagar and not in the family of Sarah. Only those born from the free woman get an inheritance. Those who are born from above, those who have experienced a supernatural birth. 
those who are the true children of God and those who are living their life by God's grace. And Paul says, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, then Sarah is your mother. He says, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. We are free. We are adopted into the family of God, and now we live our life by grace. We are free from the law. Our salvation is coming. We are going to get our inheritance. We are saved, and we are being saved. And so while we wait, we stand in freedom. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Another way you can say this verse is Christ has freed you to be free. So be free. Paul is saying, because we are children of God, we need to live our life in our freedom by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the rest of the book, he goes on to talk about how what spirit-filled living looks like, that we walk in that freedom. See, many people today prize freedom more than anything else. And the reason why they pride, they love freedom so much is because they think that freedom means that you just get to do whatever you want to do. Human beings want to do whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want, with whomever they want. People misunderstand freedom. The moral and ethical shifts that we see in our culture today is because of this reality. That we misunderstand what true freedom actually is. See, people don't want to be freed up to serve. People want to be freed up to be selfish. And then all of our selfish living leads to more and more sin. And the further and further we go into sin, you start that habit and you think, I'm going to be able to sort of kick this eventually. And then when you try, you realize you can't. And that is slavery. So the Bible tells us clearly what slavery is, but it also tells us what true freedom is. First Peter chapter 2, verse 16 says, live as people who are free. You're free. And this is important. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. John Stott said, true freedom is freedom from my silly little self. In order to live life responsibly, in order to live wisely, in order to make good decisions, in order to do things that honor God, in order to do things that bless the people that are in my life, in love for God and others. See, standing in freedom means that now I live a life of love. I'm not just standing there. I'm actually doing some things. I'm loving God and I'm loving others. I'm motivated now by love. And I'm motivated this way because I know how much I am loved. See, when you realize how much God loves you, then you are free to love other people. Because God's love is not like our love. It's not kind of up and down or anything like that. It's perfect. And it's unending. And he promises us that he's going to love us right to the end. When I get that into my head, 
I'm free now to love people. I don't walk into a room trying to get people to love me. I'm just like, how can I love the Lord and how can I love the people who are in this room? Every time you walk into a room, what we need to be doing is saying, what is most pleasing to God right now? And what is the most loving thing that I can do for the people who are in this room? And when the Spirit shows you what those things are, you do them. Not by your own strength, by the Spirit of God that is living in you, that reminds you of the reality that you are under grace and that God loves you. You now are free to love other people. And we can do this because we know that when we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, that we were born from above, that we experienced a supernatural birth, that we were given citizenship in heaven, and that one day we will be there, and that we are promised an inheritance, and that persecution can't take these things from us. We are free now to display love, to walk in love. And we do this because we are God's children. And this is how we show the world that that is the reality. The Bible says that they will know us by the way we love. And so now we are free to love God and love others. We are no longer slaves. We are free and we are God's children. He loves us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the way you love us. And God, your word says that you take thought of us. And God, in taking thought of us, you did all that was necessary and needed for us to be saved, for us to be adopted into your family. And God, the moment we placed our faith in your son, who gave it all for us, we were born from above. We were adopted in. We became your children, and we were free from bondage to sin. And God, we are now under grace. And Father, I pray for that person who, is, who hasn't experienced your grace. Would they turn? Lord, would you speak to their heart right now? Would you open their eyes to trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation? And God, for those of us who have trusted in Christ, would you give us the clarity of mind and the deep conviction that we are free and that we would live by your grace, that we would do things, yes, we would obey your commands, but not because we're trying to earn our way into your love, but because we are loved by you and we know that your commands are only going to bring good to us. So God, give us faith to trust you and to live our life by the power of the Holy Spirit and to live a life now of love because we are your children. Thank you for rescuing us from slavery, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.